Good afternoon and welcome to a very special edition of the Noon Report. I'm your host, Bob Price, and we're setting aside our regular programming today to discuss some important issues as they pertain to the holiday season. Whether you like it or not, folks, it's here. So let's start where a lot of you are right now at your local shopping mall. Family Life's Sarah Harnish gets us started with some do's and don'ts when it comes to Christmas time spending. Her guest is financial expert Rachel Cruz, and here's some of their conversation. I want to spend a few minutes on Black Friday 101 for Christians because most of us want more than a Charlie Brown tree and some chestnuts and a fire. But today is the biggest shopping day of the year, and it is so easy to get roped into the hype. Can you tell us how to do Christmas in a way that honors God? I think really pinpointing and understanding the heart behind what we're doing. If it's a constant rat race of keeping up this comparison game, these expectations that the world has set, and that's what we're trying to meet, that's when I feel like we really fall short. But when you can honor God, meaning that there's a plan, the resources that he's given you as believers, we believe they are all his. So you're going to manage it as if you were managing your money for someone else. And so you're going to be able to say, okay, we're going to have a plan for this. We're going to put a realistic boundary on our spending and we're going to stick to that plan. So be honest with me. Have you ever done like the 4 a.m. Target Walmart run? <laughs> Maybe you just bring an envelope no, we with were... just a certain amount of money because it's, boy, is it tempting. I know, I know. And that's fun. I know some families that it's their tradition and it's what they do. And I do not think that that's wrong at all. We were not personally a Black Friday family. Now, I probably will get some deals online. I'll probably go on Cyber Monday and, and get some Christmas gifts when they're half off. But again, I think it's getting caught up in the consumerism mindset that we just have to be careful of. We want to enjoy Christmas, have fun being generous and gift giving and all of that. That's part of the holiday spirit, too. So you don't want to completely squash that out. But you want to temper and be realistic about where you are financially. So if you are getting out of debt, if you don't have savings in the bank, there's probably priorities like that that are going to Trump getting 20 gifts for each kid that you have, right? I think it's all about the maturity as an adult that you have to be able to say, okay, what is wise for us in this season? And stick to that regardless of what everyone else in your life is doing. We've always done gold, frankincense, and myrrh gifts in our family. So each kid gets three presents. We keep it really simple because I've got a whole gaggle of children and now they've grown up and married and so they've made spawns. So now there's grandchildren also and I've realized the power of multiplication when that happens. But, But I've realized there's been a shift in our kids since they started adulting. Before, as teenagers, it was Xboxes and all that. Now this year, they're asking for shoes, food, money, <laughs> like a date night yes. out with their wife. I was like, this is nice. This is doable. I love even those creative type of gifts. And a lot of those, it will have someone give what they can, meaning you as the grandparent. They're like, hey, we want your time so you can watch the kids so we can go out on a date night. So finding even creative gifts like that is going to help the budget. How do you establish financial boundaries with your children or with your adult kids? without feeling mean. I don't see them as mean. I see them as very healthy. Now, it can be very awkward for people because you're having to say no or you're changing expectations. Sit down and say, hey, our Christmas is going to look a little bit different than it has in the past because we have other goals that we're trying to hit. We're trying to get out of debt. We're trying to get on this firm foundation financially. So I think communicating those expectations is great. And then your adult children, they should be able to say, okay, thanks, mom and dad. We appreciate that. Thanks for letting us know. And that's it. Your obligation at that point to adult children, it definitely changes in my opinion. Yeah, they're asking for 
for shoes instead of Xboxes. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so what if it's a hard season financially, job loss or divorce, unexpected expenses? Do you have some tips to navigate the holidays with that going on in the background? Stress and emotional spending can be so high in seasons that are hard. And so if you are walking through a hard season like that, be very, very cautious that you're not overindulging and spending to try to make up for the hard season you're in. That can happen a lot. And so I would temper those emotional emotions by actually putting facts on paper. So I would see what amount of money do we have to spend? And again, if it's in a hard season, it's probably going to be less than it was in the years past. And that's okay. And stick to that goal because the January you will be so thankful the December you actually had a plan and stuck to it to put you and set you up well for next year. Let's shift gears. Tell me about your new book. Yes, this is my first children's book, and I wanted to write a book about contentment. My kids, I have an eight, six, and four-year-old, and they are constantly asking to look on Amazon, wanting something new. They just want, want, want. And that's me too. As an adult, to a degree, I feel the same way. Contentment is such a powerful financial and spiritual principle. I wanted a sweet kids book that rhymed, that was short. You're welcome, parents. And that really had this message of where ultimately our contentment lies and the joy that is found in a relationship with God is huge. It says, it's okay to have nice stuff, just don't let your stuff have you. And I think that's kind of the heart of this book. That's exactly right. Yeah, our stuff is not bad. It's not wrong to have things, but it's where we place them in the importance of our life where things can get really twisted. And so being able to say, yep, it's okay to have nice stuff, but it's not going to fulfill me probably the way I think it will. Talk about contentment. The message in the book is very strong for children, but you're going to get a gut check as a parent reading it as well. Yes. Yeah, you know, we get in this cycle, kind of a rat on a wheel, where we think our stuff is going to fulfill us. Our stuff is going to bring us this joy. And over time, the pleasure-seekingness in our brains, it takes more and more stuff to actually feel any level of that idea of pleasure. We end up accumulating more and more and more. And so when we can just say, hey, I am content with what I have, there's a level of gratitude, a level of humility in that that is really, really important. I'm glad for what I have is the name of that book. You can find more Rachel resources at Ramsey Solutions. Dot com. I've got one last question for you. Why do you do what you do? Growing up in the shadow of your dad, Dave Ramsey, most people would run from finances. They would run the other direction, but you ran toward it to help others. Tell me about that. I think one of the big pillars of my story is I came from a family that was broken financially. My parents filed bankruptcy the year I was born. And so having that front row seat of understanding how money really works, that was my parents' heart of us growing up, that we wouldn't make the mistakes they made. And as a young adult going off to college and even in my 20s, I realized, wow, I was given such a gift to understand God's ways of handling money with some common sense principles. And I wanted to give that gift away. I'm like, I want to be able to help people in the subject in life that it can be so stressful and so daunting and so shameful and to release them from all of that and give them a plan that brings peace to the subject in life that can be so chaotic. That is financial expert Rachel Cruz talking dollars and cents with our own Sarah Harnish heading into the Christmas shopping season. If you're just joining us, we're setting aside our regular programming today to bring you a special Black Friday edition of the Noon Report. I'm your host, Bob Price, and it can be said this Christmas is unlike like any other in the Holy Land. For the first time ever, the city of Bethlehem, the birthplace of Christmas, has canceled Christmas. It's because of the ongoing war between Israel and Hamas. I talked about war at Christmas time with local pastor Dave Bretch. Our conversation begins with another war more than 160 years ago in this country. 
Friday night, December 25th, 1863, the widowed father of six, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, a man who had lost his wife terribly in a fire and almost lost his son in the Civil War, wrote the, the poem, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. And Dave, there's a line from that poem that seems so applicable to me when we think about the war in the Middle East right now. It goes like this. In despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. I mean, that was written a long time ago, but it could apply today. How, how do you make sense of what's happening right now in that place of the world that gave us the Christmas story? It's interesting that he wrote that in 1863, the middle of the Civil War, which can certainly be argued that it was the darkest year in our nation's history. I think back to you know the the verse that we often recite at Christmas time, Isaiah 9, 6 through 7, um, where the prophet Isaiah writes, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Prince of peace and of the increase of his government in peace, there will be no end. Hmm. And so your question is a good one because the land where Jesus lived is one of the most peaceless places on earth. Hmm. But the kingdom of God, or to use Isaiah's language, the government of God, it's not an earthly or political kingdom. It consists of Christians who were called to be the city on a hill or the light of the world. Now, in this region, you know, the Holy Land, there's about 230,000 Christians, many who are calling and living for peace. But unfortunately, there are many also living in that region who are not interested in peace, right? Some, such as Hamas, mm -hmm. are interested in eliminating Israel. And there are others who are interested in protecting Israel, which they certainly have a right to protect themselves. But the question everyone is asking is, at what cost? Mm -hmm. We celebrate here at Christmas that Jesus is... Is the Prince of Peace. He is the King. He is sovereign, and he understands this conflict better than anyone, and he is a really good person to trust. Yeah. And this war has spawned a level of anti-Semitism, Dave. I don't think we've seen since the Nazis during World War II. Can you explain the animosity that we're witnessing that's been directed at the state of Israel because of this war? I think it's a good question. Certainly, requires a robust answer. Let me offer one insight. You know, the Jews ever since the beginning have had an otherness about them, right? They believe in one God in a world where there was always a belief in multiple gods. They had certain food laws and certain traditions mm -hmm. that drove a lot of the people around them nuts. And so from the beginning, there was anti-Semitism. You know, one thing I was thinking about when you asked that question is Martin Luther, who is perhaps one of the most important theologians of the last 500 years, the champion of justification through faith, certainly one of our heroes yeah. of the faith, had a, a very difficult relationship with the Jews and was anti-Semitic. Um, yeah. You can read some of his startling quotes. I mean, one of them is, I cannot convert the Jews. Our Lord Christ himself did not succeed in doing so, but I can close their mouth so that there will be nothing for them to do but lie upon the ground. Some of his quotes are... are that was Martin Luther. That was Martin. 
Martin Luther. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, you know, he believed yeah. in burning their synagogues, burning their books. He was just frustrated. This is a man who did not mince his words. And if you didn't believe in what he was teaching, he, he got very angry with you. Yeah. And, uh, and he, of course, is one of the theological heroes. And so many would say that Martin Luther's views on the Jews certainly contributed to the Holocaust in Germany. That is certainly true. Mm-hmm. But it's important for us to realize that Jesus was not frustrated with all of the Jews, right? For he himself was Jewish. Mm-hmm. It is true that Israel is today one of the hardest countries to share Christ. But we should always be motivated by compassion, never aggression. There is never an excuse for anti-Semitism. Unfortunately, it has always been there, and Christians are called to end hate and to love all people and to show compassion for others. Hmm. I love reading church signs as I drive around. I just saw one the other day that just summed it up so well. It just said, pray for peace. Just three little words. Christmas time, Pastor Dave, as you know, is supposed to be a time of peace. But for so many of us, it's anything but. I mean, we get wrapped in the trappings and trapped in the wrappings of the holiday. And every year we say we're not, and we do. What are some things that we can do as we prepare our hearts for this Christmas season so that we don't miss the reason for the season? Leverage Christmas for the good of other people. Everybody celebrates Christmas, and everybody knows that Christmas celebrates the birth of Christ, even if that's not how everyone celebrates it. So I think we as Christians should leverage the Christmas season to share the love of Christ with people who don't necessarily celebrate it in the same way that we celebrate it. A few ideas. Number one, make it to church on Sundays throughout Advent and invite an unchurched person. Number two, I love watching movies like The Nativity Story. Bob, you were just telling me about I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. Great So many good movies to sit down with your family and just celebrate the reason for the season. Mm. And then invite someone over to your home who might not have a place to go during the Christmas season, right? If you want to make Jesus the reason for the season, well, Jesus told us to love our neighbors and to show hospitality. And so if you're like me, look, Christmas is often the busiest and most expensive season of the year. And I haven't quite figured out a way to change that. So I seek to simply redeem it. And rather than getting mad at people who commercialize Christmas, what if we tried to capitalize on that and figure out a way to redeem it? It's Black Friday, and it seems like people are on edge like never before. And if you don't believe that, just go to Walmart today. You'll see it. It's why I don't go to the stores, <laughs> because all that does is feed that beast, that monster, that commercial side of this this holiday, which, you know, it's if you can't beat them, join them, right? Yeah. So I ask you, will we ever truly have as the angels proclaim to the shepherds in that little town of Bethlehem 2,000 Christmases ago, will we ever truly have peace on earth, this side of glory? We know we will the other side, but this side of eternity, will we ever have peace on earth, goodwill toward men? Yeah, I think to your point, we will never experience its fullness until Jesus comes back and wipes away every tear and renews the earth. Mm -hmm. But until then, Christians are temples of the Holy Spirit, right? Called to bring peace to the world through the hope of the gospel, God and sinners reconciled. And so Jesus told us that the world is going to get worse with war and conflict and hatred. Mm -hmm. And yet 
we are called to bring light and hope and sometimes to enter the mess, sometimes to enter situations that are not as peaceful as we would hope, whether it's our workplace, our schools, family members. It's easy to want to avoid those difficult places, but Christ moved towards the mess. We're called to move towards the mess mm-hmm. and, and be the light of the world. That is Pastor Dave Bretch with the Beartown Road Alliance Church near Corning, New York. Recently, our own Mark Webster spent some time with another pastor, Eric Johns of Buffalo. This guy for 25 years has been living homeless on the streets of Buffalo during the week of Thanksgiving to raise awareness about the poor and raise funds for his Boxes of Love campaign. Johns explains what motivated him a quarter century ago to launch this labor of love. I was just driving my car one day and I felt like the Spirit of God just speak to me to leave my house and go live with the homeless. And I mean, I know it was God because I wasn't thinking anything like that. So I uh, packed my little uh, backpack that I have and brought my sleeping bag and left my home for the week. You know, my church was behind me. People were uh, excited about me doing it. But that first year was pretty scary. I was all alone. Nobody was with me and I had no idea what I was doing. I slept under a bridge, you know, with uh, some other homeless guys and just kind of kept one eye open all night. But I did it. I stayed out all week. And little did I know that the media would really catch on to it the way that they did. And our little church ended up being the top story on the news all week long. And front page of the newspaper, we did several radio spots about the need that we had in the city of Buffalo. And some money came in and donations were given. And we were able to give gifts to just about 200 kids, brand new wrapped toys for them. And for our church back then, that was a huge thing, you know, uh, for us to be able to accomplish that. But now 25 years later, it's just grown so much. It's just amazing for me to see what has happened over the past 25 years. We um, are now giving gifts to somewhere between four and 5,000 kids every uh, Christmas. And we're also uh, giving food to families. Uh, so we've added food to the whole thing and we're giving out uh, groceries and turkeys and food to uh, this year. We're projected to do about 3,500 families. Can't help but wonder 25 years down the road, what impact is it had on you personally? Really a great impact. This will be my last year. I'm passing the baton to my sons who were not even born the first years I did it. One's 20, one's about to be 20. (laughs) And so part of it is a little bit hard to give it up because it's become kind of who I am rather than just something I do every year. I affectionately became known as the homeless pastor to a lot of our friends on the street. And a lot of them consider me their pastor. We now have a church that we've planted on the street. Curbside Church, which uh, has about 100 people that attend every Sunday right in the park downtown with music and preaching and everything. And so we've really gotten to know a lot of the homeless community and and they've become a part of our lives. It's not just a thing that we do. It's really a part of the DNA at the Buffalo Dream Center and a part of who I've become as a person. I think it's really helped me a lot to leave my house and do that every year and live uh, in another man's world. Is there one particular person you encountered situation you encountered in all those 25 years out in the street that that stands out? There's one guy in particular who's still a really good friend of mine. And I met Keith um, on the street when he had just gotten out of prison. And so he had been out of prison only about two weeks. I found all this out later, but I had seen him walking around the area of the church. I just walked up to him one day and I said, sir, I see you around. I said, I just want to pray for you. And he looked at me and he said, I know who you are. He said, you're that preacher. 
leader from the church. He said, don't pray for me because it's too late for me. I'm going to hell. I just reached out to him, hugged him, prayed with him just anyway. And uh, he eventually started coming and visiting our church. He was one of the first guys that I reached out to. He's not homeless anymore. He's got an apartment, a place to live. He became a part of our church and a part of my family and a, a really good friend. It's got to be gratifying for you too to have your sons take that baton from your hand and keep this going. Oh yeah. I got five kids and um, all of them are grown up now. And I have seven grandchildren and, and an eighth one on the way. And um, all my kids are involved in our ministry. That to me is a huge, huge blessing. And uh, I think part of the reason is because I never treated it like my ministry, my thing, and my kids weren't involved. They were involved with everything that we did. We did a lot of inner city ministry to kids. And so it was a natural thing for them to be involved with, but they'd always been involved since they were little, feeding people, helping people, reaching out to the homeless. And so it was just a natural thing for them to want to do what I had been doing all those years and want to be a part of it. And so now my boys really want to take the baton and do it. And I, and I told them they don't have to. You know, I said, maybe this is more my thing and not your thing. But they're really excited to do it. And uh, for the past four years or so, they've been going out with me when I do it and learning the ropes about it. And so I think they'll do great. It's a wonderful tradition. This is the kickoff for Boxes of Love. Tell me about that program and its impact. Yeah, when uh, we began it 25 years ago, we helped 200 kids with some toys. And it's just grown to impact like thousands of people. During the month of December, we usually have more than a thousand volunteers come through the Buffalo Dream Center and we spend all month long, actually we start at the end of November, we spend uh, that time packing bags of food. We're going to pack 3,500 bags of food this year that are going to um, be loaded on trucks and taken into neighborhoods. We're going into targeted neighborhoods throughout Buffalo, Niagara Falls, and um, we're helping some churches as far away as uh, Pittsburgh, uh, Pennsylvania that are feeding their communities. So we're going to be able to help a lot of people that way by making the the food distribution more mobile in different neighborhoods. And on top of that, we also wrap gifts for kids. So we already started at the beginning of October registering kids for toys. So we're going to probably wrap between 4,000, 5,000 toys this year. They're going to go to families that are in need. And so it's just a great opportunity to really bless our city, help families that are in need. And at the same time, show the love of Jesus. This year, we're bringing the whole boxes of love to Honduras as well, which we have a ministry there. And um, we're going to give gifts to almost 2,000 kids in the Tulipan Indian tribe, which is an unreached tribe that lives on a mountain in Honduras. We've been reaching out to them for the past 10 years. So we decided it was time to bring boxes of love there. All that from 25 years ago, going out in the street for a few nights. (laughs) Yeah. I had no idea 25 years ago when our little church of probably less than 50 people at the time. We thought it was a huge accomplishment to give gifts to 200 kids and how God would just take that and multiply it. That is one amazing man, Pastor Eric Johns with the Buffalo Dream Center, talking to our own Mark Webster. Johns has been living homeless the week of Thanksgiving every year for the past 25 years, raising awareness about his Boxes of Love campaign, and this is the last year the pastor will take to the streets. If you're just tuning in, thanks for listening. This is our special Black Friday edition of the Noon 
Report. I'm your host, Bob Price, and our final conversation today is with Christian counselor Jessica Mead. She's speaking to our own Greg Gillespie about how to cope with the holidays if you've recently experienced a loss. Let's listen in. Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, family get-togethers, family not able to get together. It seems like there's a hollow or an empty or hurting feeling that people come in that I'm not treating the Christmas season the way I'm, quote, supposed to. Can you give us some perspectives on how to navigate that, especially for someone who's having a challenging time this year? I think the holidays bring out in us this sense of tradition, the sense of this is how we do things. I think a lot of us find our identity in the tradition and the family expectations. And so it can be very difficult for people who are struggling this year for one reason or another. There's something to be said for treating Christmas like four-year-olds do. But even when a four-year-old turns seven or 14, Christmas is different. Why should it be any different when we turn 24 or 34 or 54? Christmas obviously has its timeless gospel message, but it strikes us in different ways. How do we navigate those expectations? Wow, that's such a good question. And I wish there was a way to go back to when I was four or five to see the magic of Christmas. But one of the things that I think is important is remembering what that was like, just little things of wonderment, and then being able to spend it with maybe children that you can see through their eyes. What does the Christmas tree really look like when you're down at a three-foot level. It's huge and magical and wonderful. And somewhere along the line, as adults, we've lost the idea of wonder and the idea of beauty. And I think the holidays give us an opportunity to tap into that. Some congregations have special services during the month of December called Blue Christmas, where people have dealt with a loss. Maybe it's a parent who has died or a spouse or there's been a divorce. It's not gold and silver. It's not red and green. It's blue. Christmas is not going to be the way Christmas is supposed to be. Are there ways to reinterpret or get a different perspective? Yes, I do think Elvis said it the best. But for people in particular who are experiencing loss and grief for maybe the first time at the holidays, I think there's a few things. One, I think giving yourself permission to do things differently or to not do things at all. That's okay because it is different. Maybe talking to somebody else who's experiencing the loss to say, you know, what has this been like for you? Because this is what it's like for me. And I don't want to make grandma's Christmas cookie recipe this year. I, I just don't have the heart. It's too hard without her here. So maybe you don't make grandma's Christmas cookies, but maybe somebody else does. And so it's bringing a small piece of them in a way that's not overwhelming. I think that can be really helpful. Old traditions without expectations, I think, is the trick. But just recognizing the loss and maybe not trying to push through and pretending like everything is okay, the grief usually comes out whether we like it or not. You've talked about giving yourself permission. You've talked about talking with people. Do therapeutic counselors hear a lot of holiday-related issues from at least some number of the people you see? Absolutely. And even people who have been coming regularly, the holidays bring up so much for people. There is so much tied up in our memories 
And again, those expectations, feelings of being overwhelmed. And then I feel like we also see a little bit of a push at the holiday season for new people coming in who are saying, I just need some help to get through this time because it's really difficult right now. Can you give us some steps toward that kind of balance and perspective, turning the traditions into something that become helpful rather than adding to our sense of loneliness or sorrow? I love the idea of Psalm 147.3. It says, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. And I feel like that is just so validating that this is a universal experience and we all feel it differently at different times. And the holidays, I think, amplify it, but they don't create it. I think that God has created us for community and grief itself can be so very isolating. And that's why I think it's important to find people who are experiencing maybe the same grief, maybe different levels of it, but also to be around people who are going to lift you up who are going to kind of be the hands and feet of Jesus to kind of heal those wounds that seem to be a little deeper at the holidays. I mentioned Elvis and his blue Christmas. I want to close out with that great theologian, Charles M. Schultz, the mm -hmm. creator of the Charlie Brown cartoons. You want to talk about traditions that I think that may be something that would be helpful. And I'd like to, to get your perspective that Charlie Brown, you know, he had a miserable Halloween and got nothing but rocks. Okay. Thanksgiving, he had popcorn instead of Thanksgiving turkey. And so he gets to Christmas and everything's not according to what the overspending commercialized things are. Everything I do turns into a disaster. I guess I really don't know what Christmas is all about. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Mm -hmm. And his friend with the security blanket helps him out. Can we get beyond the cultural messages of Christmas to find some new perspectives, especially we need it when, when there's a Christian message underlying it? Yeah, Charlie Brown's my favorite. You're speaking to my heart, Greg. And I love that Linus with his, his little blanket, you know, gets up there and recites the gospel of Luke, the story of Jesus's birth. And I think we do get so bogged down in our traditions and in our expectations and in the gifts and in the all the trappings of Christmas. And even Snoopy kind of got in with his doghouse. It's so easy to fall into that because we've put that expectation on ourselves. But we really boil it down. We really get down to the root of what is Christmas. And I think Christmas is the birth of our Savior but it's when hope actually came to earth. And whether we're grieving a loss or not in this world, we all need a little bit of hope. And if we can kind of push past the expectations and push past the, the shopping and the lights and all those things that are still really fun and get down to what it really means and maybe just feeling thankful. That is Christian counselor Jessica Mead on Coping with Grief during the holidays. And just like that, we are out of time for this special Black Friday edition of The Noon Report. A special thanks to each of our guests today for sharing their insights and analysis as we gear up for another Christmas season. We hope you've enjoyed today's special report. And from the entire Family Life News team, Mark Webster, 
Sarah Harnish, and Greg Gillespie. I'm Bob Price. Happy holidays.